I'm going to work and make it happen. And then when I had met Marilyn Houston at the groundbreaking later on, I had basically thanked her for setting that example and piquing my interest in an industry that not only makes a difference to those who work there, but to the entire world around us. From the University of Alabama's Colorado College of Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals an amazing stories most people will inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens, and on the show today, Olivia Eustace. Olivia graduated both undergrad as well as a double master's from the University of Alabama, and has since gone on to work for Lockheed Martin in Boulder, Colorado. She comes back to campus today to talk about her journey, as well as her fundraiser that she's helping out with and her great friend, Dan Nielsen. This is part one of our two-part series with Olivia. How are you doing today, Olivia? I'm fantastic, Cole. Thank you. Anyway, so Olivia, you graduated both undergrad as well as two master's programs here at the University of Alabama, including a master's in civil engineering, I believe, as well as an uh, uh, MBA. MBA through the MBA. STEM path, correct. Sweet. So what brought you right back onto campus in this mid-April date where there's no football going on right now? With no football, it's definitely really pulling my arm here, which is totally a lie because they had to pry me out of Tuscaloosa how many years ago with a crowbar. Uh, So I'm back this weekend just to catch up with old professors and friends that are still here, enjoy all of the springtime flowers that are in bloom. And also I'm here this weekend um, for a fundraiser honoring my late friend, Daniel Nielsen, who passed away last year. Uh, We're doing a fundraiser in his honor uh, to build a house for Habitat for Humanity. Awesome, we'll definitely be talking about that fundraiser later on in the episode. Let's get started on how you ended up at Alabama because you're not originally from Alabama or anywhere close by, are you? Correct. I'm actually from the western suburbs of Chicago, which I thought initially was unique starting freshman year, to which you tell people I'm unique, I'm from Chicago, and then they reply, what part are you from? So with me and 300 of my closest Chicago friends in my freshman class, I came out here like many of us did on a full tuition scholarship to cover undergrad, which was probably one of the most life-changing moments that I've ever experienced to be able to come to a top engineering university to receive a great education education and an even better football school to boot. So coming down here from Chicago, it was actually the deacon at our church who his son was a recruiter and said, oh, Olivia, engineering scholarship. Boom. So I had applied. We visited in January. I saw people golfing from the plane as it came down and I had already decided then I was going, but I let mom and dad wine and dine me the whole weekend. And then when the plane went back to Chicago, landing in gray snow, they said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, of course I'm going to Bama. And they replied, well, thank God you are, because if you weren't, we would. Exactly. Come back for their doctorates, if anything else. Absolutely. Well, you know, maybe we'll see. In the future, maybe in the possibility. Now, Olivia, you come to school here, obviously sort of bright eyed. You don't know what's going on. Do you have any siblings yourself? Uh, Yeah, I do have a younger brother who also graduated from Alabama this past May. Roll Tide. Congratulations. Roll Tide. Thank you. Of course. Absolutely. So being the oldest, you come Mm -hmm. down to Alabama. You don't know a ton of people. You're still trying to get introduced to the culture, everything going on. Mm What did you get involved in? It's I definitely involved myself big in the College of Engineering as well as the MBA school. My top goal coming in as a freshman was to become an ambassador, which eventually led to me becoming a College of Engineering ambassador. And that was something that I not only wanted to do to share my love and my knowledge of the school, but also to be able to give back to that next generation of students. I had such a great first impression when I came to the campus, and I knew that if I was able to give that to someone else and pay it forward, that I would just constantly have have that return on my investment of coming here as a student. 
think that's a, a great idea. So you ended up being an engineering ambassador, correct? correct. Yeah. So can, for someone listening, can you explain sort of what that does and what your role on a day-to-day basis looked like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a College of Engineering ambassador, all of the different colleges on campus have their own respective ambassador groups. So it was a group of about 20 to 30 of us that at any given time, if someone needed a tour, if there were students coming in from the local high school, sometimes VIP tours would come in and they would really need someone to give that student and their family the most top-notch engineering experience that they knew that could they could come here and not only work hard, but play harder. And that was a mantra I used and advertised on my tours. I'd walk and show them labs and give fun facts and tell them that Dr. Bell used to be the mechanical engineering head. Engineering affects the world all around us. And I was so excited to be brought into that field so young and as a woman and a minority in that field. So to be able to promote that enthusiasm, not only for the college, but for the industry as a whole, that was something that just really made a huge impact on the university, the students I touched, and it impacted me as well. You were here during a pretty formidable time when it came to academics here at Alabama. Obviously, as an engineering student, that's a whole other realm in the mm-hmm. sense of like you're going through the motions, you got a lot of hard classes, you're stressing out every day, it seems like for those engineering students. But you were also in a very unique program. One of the first to class to graduate was the STEM path to the MBA, correct? Yes. Could you explain sort of what that was and why you chose to go that path? Absolutely. So the STEM path to the MBA was actually kind of the nail in the coffin of getting me here, essentially. It was, I knew I was able to study engineering and be successful, but where could I be the most successful? Not only did Capstone Scholars Weekend give us that great taste, we had received all the flyers and things in the mail, and then I saw a thing that was for the STEM MBA program. And what that is, is a five-year MBA program for students within a science, technology, engineering, or math discipline, and they're on a fast-tracked path to get that MBA. So through that, they take a business course once a semester, um, every time they're an undergrad, and then they start three graduate classes the summer after junior and senior year, and you stay on for one full year of graduate school, as opposed to the two that a traditional MBA would stay for. So you're with the same cohort and group of friends and professors for five whole years, and then eventually it culminates to where you become the best presenter and analysts and all of your friends are getting top jobs and offers and you see each other grow and help each other and the professors get the same kind of benefit from that. It's a program that really, I think, made my college experience what it was because it surrounded me with such a group of like-minded individuals that really allowed us all to collaboratively succeed. This might be a very blunt question and obviously I'm going to ask this so hopefully you can respond to it in some way, shape or form. As an engineer, why would you go for an MBA? Obviously, you have this whole degree in which you can pretty much get a top-paying job by just going from undergrad. Why would you take that step and get an MBA and be so forward-looking as a senior in high school? Yeah, that's an excellent question that a lot of people think that an MBA is kind of a later in life decision. And that, again, was what drew me to that STEM path, because I figured graduate school was something I might pursue. But if it was already ingrained in my mind, I knew that I could set myself apart when it came to job searching. There's thousands of students that, you know, come out of engineering school every year. They all have great degrees, great GPAs. You can't make it through engineering unless you really worked for it. So if everyone has that degree and that's your competition, I thought to myself, what skill sets do I need to set myself apart? 
I didn't have the best grades, but I had really great extracurriculars. I was social. I'm able to present. I'm able to analyze and articulate business and science and be able to translate between those two independent parties. So getting that MBA essentially was a lifestyle kind of decision for me because it just made sense with me and what I do best. But now that I've been in industry and I've seen the engineers who can articulate and analyze and those who can't, having that MBA prepared me to not only be a great engineer, but a great business person and a hybrid of the two. When you're looking at obviously engineering, you graduated in civil engineering, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So that discipline is going to be very focused on rocks, obviously. That's a joke. Yes, um, rocks, roads, and any and everything in between. Exactly. So that discipline bodes well to obviously long-term development. You got mm -hmm. a great career ahead of you. You eventually look for internships. Obviously, between summers, a lot of engineers work for you know, contracting, uh, construction mm -hmm. groups, stuff of that nature. Mm -hmm. What did you do with your summers? Because obviously, with a STEM path, you're still taking some summer courses between mm -hmm. those two semesters or those two years. What was that path like for yourself? Yeah, so my internship path started the summer of my sophomore year. I did work for a public works department and I learned kind of one of the best lessons I think you can get from an internship is learning what you don't want to do. I loved learning about civil engineering and how the world worked, but I knew I was still able to take that degree as a foundation to do pretty much whatever doors that MBA opened for me. And then I had another internship uh, with Ace Hardware Corporate. I worked on their procurement side of that to get a taste of the business side of things. And I decided I needed a challenge and I needed to face problems that had yet to be solved. So me as a civil engineer and dealing with everything at normal gravity, I looked to Lockheed Martin, um, which came onto my radar when Marilyn Houston came to campus. So long story short, I saw her, saw the operations, saw what they did and the ethics that were behind it. And I decided pretty much on that day that one way or another, I would work for Lockheed Martin one day. So that's a very short story, obviously, but this is a podcast. We're supposed to talk for a long Absolutely, time. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go into sort of that specific event. A lot of times, Alabama called Rouse, the Career Center will host events, host speakers on campus. Mm -hmm. They'll have like food with it. That's going to be like, like, for example, today we have Fried Friday, for example. Why did you go to Lockheed event by any chance? So the Lockheed event, believe it or not, free breakfast was a big part of pulling me into that. Uh, the STEM program sends out emails 24-7 of any and everything that would be remotely beneficial to their students. And I saw one that said, Fortune 500 CEO and free breakfast. They both excited me about equally. So I put on my blazer and I showed up. Lo and behold, I'd never heard of Lockheed, never heard of Marilyn. And I see just the beacon of what a woman should be in that industry. Just talking about our operations and where they are and the impacts that our missions have. And I saw her, had my breakfast. And again, it was pretty much at the end of that discussion. I had decided I was going to work there. Uh, so I went home, did over 100 applications, business engineering, I would have emptied garbage cans just to get my foot in the door. Uh, so they eventually picked me in Fort Worth, Texas uh, to start as a supply chain engineer on the integrated fighter groups, which is the F-35 and all of those jets. Um, and that was just really a great experience that kind of kicked off my career there. I got a taste of just one business area. And I will tell you that the last question I answered in that interview was whether we deserve to be in the playoffs this year. And rolling into Texas after that 16th national championship was a really good time. Right, that's a great prediction right there. We need to have you here more often. And that's what I'm saying. Two of your internships were in some kind of supply chain management procurement mm -hmm. positions. That's obviously 
currently in the world, high demand. Yeah. It's the high demand field. A lot of people are thinking about that. Do you have any advice for people looking into the industry or what their skill sets might be and like what might drive someone to go into that industry? Yeah, absolutely. I think being organized and being informed are the two top skills. Obviously, it's, you know, on the front page news that supply chain shortages. Why are they short? Where are those shortages coming from? How can we mitigate those challenges with what we currently have or what we currently can obtain? Um, just really being an informed student of your industry and of the world and kind of the inputs and outputs of all of that, being prepared before you get to that job is the key. You've done a lot of studying and prep. Just do it before you get there on day one, because there's a ton of learning you're going to do after that. So the more prepared you are ahead of time, the more that you can expound upon that learning going forward. So you do these internships and this, and then during this time, you also, you know, start your MBA program while it is a one-year program it's still MBA, but then you happen to throw on a master's in civil just for fun. Or why did you choose to do that? It's well, if I was here for an extra football season, which I was through it, we could say it was because of fun. I had finished up undergrad graduation. I'm sitting there in line with all the other engineers and our department head, uh, Dr. Ed Back, came up to me and said, why aren't you doing my master's program? And I just brushed him off and was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm going to do my MBA. And he's like, well, come talk to me and we'll see. And leading up to that point, I had um, another professor, Mike Pope, and then another professor, Dr. Alexander Hainan, who also had kind of put that master's in my mind to which I thought, well, I don't know if I want to get a master's in engineering. But then it was having Dr. Back and those other two gentlemen really pushing me to know that that's what I was capable of achieving. And then going back to my internship and asking, would I be more beneficial with or without that technical master's degree? The answer was unanimously yes, just because I had so many doors open with that undergrad of engineering and that MBA. But now that I had a technical master's, really everything was just in front of me. The world was my oyster. So I've thanked all of those men since for pushing me to get that because it was essentially doing it with the MBA. I didn't notice any different. Again, I was here for even longer, which I couldn't have asked for anything more. And I have made myself arguably one of the most marketable people in my demographic. It's I came out of Alabama with two masters and an undergrad in five and a half years. And I really don't think not that many people across the world can say the same, let alone have quite as personal of an experience as they did doing it. It was a very unique experience. And obviously, first one I've ever encountered to have that. So congratulations yes, on that. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. So we knew, uh, you knew, that you wanted to go into Lockheed Martin in some way, shape, mm -hmm. or form. You interned for them twice. But a lot of times people ask you a question, where do you end up? Not just the company, but also where do you want to live? What did you have in mind when you were going to school? When someone asked a question, how would you respond? Yeah, that's definitely a loaded question because I've lived all over the place in a very, what I would consider a short life. Coming from Chicago down to Alabama, it was two culture shocks. So I figured, why not throw in a third? Uh, Colorado was on my radar since high school, just in terms of the space industry is out there. Um, everyone's healthy. Everyone's excited. You have the best views and commutes on planet Earth. So when Lockheed had first came and I was in Texas, I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. How can I get to Colorado? 
The great thing about a company as big as Lockheed is once you're in, they're willing to keep you and put you where you want to go as long as it's, you know, mutually beneficial. So I was hired to work in Denver the summer before I'd left Fort Worth because I really wanted it so bad. Um, so then I had, you know, gone out to Denver and everything. And essentially it came together where I did go where I wanted to go. But again, it was Maryland coming to campus that first time and saying, we have operations here in Colorado. I thought, cool industry cool place to live. I'm going to work and make it happen. And then when I had met Marilyn Houston at the groundbreaking later on, I had basically thanked her for setting that example and piquing my interest in an industry that not only makes a difference to those who work there, but to the entire world around us. You end up in Boulder, I believe, in Colorado, which is northwest of Denver. If anyone doesn't know where that's going to be located. You graduate in 2019 in the, I believe, December 2019 graduation ceremony, yes, correct? correct. Mm-hmm. You graduate into COVID. Yeah. Like, if we're just being honest, you graduate, even if you started January, February. I started February, yeah. February, the next month, COVID hits. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like for you? Can you explain sort of like how that affected you and your role? Yeah, absolutely. It was by far the most unexpected twist and turn of my adult life. And I think pretty much everyone can say the same for that. I had gone into the office every day for a month. So I'd met, you know, enough people to know my team and know my workload. And then it was, well, you're working from home. And I thought, well, that's really cool. That's awesome. Until it was months of working from home. I live alone up in Colorado and it was, you know, a very difficult transition and especially not knowing the future of, you know, our world and even our industry, it's our security was, you know, on such a high alert because of all of these unknowns. So just kind of understanding how to be by myself and know how to occupy myself. I think that's a lot of things that a lot of people struggle with just moving on their own in general. However, on the flip side of that, I had so many friends after I graduated who were still in Tuscaloosa. So that allowed us to reconnect and still have our spring semester together. It was just virtually, but we would call and just talk for hours and reminisce. And just, it really felt like we were still together that last semester. I just closed the laptop when I said bye. And it really was the best way to make, I think, lemonade out of those lemons. It's It was kind of a time of solitude, but it was more so, I think, a time of reconnection with any and every person that you normally didn't have the time or the access to talk to, you were able to reconnect and remember why you were connected with them in the first place. I think that's a great point, really capitalizing on those opportunities that you got out of it. Um, COVID obviously affected everyone in a different way. Are you guys back in the office now or how are you it's, Yeah, that? we're back in the office um, as needed. So I can work from home as I want, but I embrace that flexibility and I can be here with you guys today. Exactly. I mean, roll tied to that. We roll tied, absolutely. <laughs> Lockheed Martin, obviously, is a name brand here on campus, thanks to Marilyn Houston and her amazing contributions to not only the university, but also the business school specifically. How have you seen yourself playing a role model, key aspect of a woman in STEM as well as business? That is like my favorite question ever, because I think being a woman in any industry that is so male dominated, it's really being kind of that uh, that trailblazer for everyone that's behind you. And when I had seen Marilyn, she was the first female and first non-military CEO of Lockheed Martin. 
both of which are unbelievably impressive. And just seeing that she's, you know, she's a person just like you or I. She went to Bama. She got a master's. She met her husband here. She got married here. Her sons went here. Seeing that she had that passion. And I saw that she's a CEO. She's on magazine covers, but she still is a mother and a wife. So I think to myself, well, if she can do it, then that's what I want to be when I grow up. And if I fall short of it, I'm going to be okay. And just seeing not only how she leads, but just how the ethics that she upholds and the dignity, her sense of style. I mean, she was that kind of example to start that. And then now as myself and that younger, I think more approachable generation to where, you know, it's post COVID, it's this, it's that. There's so many unknowns that college students and just young women in general are unaware of that they could be facing in the workforce. It's not only starting a job, I'm oftentimes the only woman in a conference room. I'm one of probably five women that I see on average in my workday. And that's if I go to the bathroom to see them there. And it's a very stark contrast. But I think a lot of the time in my engineering and internships and my involvement here prepared me for that. And it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to embrace and rise to that challenge. You might have to work a little harder to be taken seriously, but you will be respected for it. Obviously, you talked about being a role model right there. You mm-hmm. talked about sort of the ideal. A lot of people, when they, come, when they think about giving back to a university, they wait about 20 to 30 years on average. Usually around 50 to 60 year olds, when 50 to 60 years of age, when people start coming back and start, you know, maybe talking at universities or giving back monetarily. You sort of embrace a different kind of ideal mindset. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Giving back, like I had said previously, was started way back when I was an ambassador and just reflecting on my time on campus this weekend and all of the time I'd spent here previously. None of this would have been possible if it wasn't for the money, time and just really attention that was put in not only by donors, but just the faculty, the upperclassmen. It's the whole Alabama community really pours their heart and soul into you. And when you kind of look back in the rearview mirror and see how many people put their efforts to make you successful, you just can't help yourself to want to continue to pay it forward. Just I think of all the alums that I saw speak and what they had to share. If I learned one thing from every one of them, whether I did or didn't want to take that, it was still valuable information that was just part of the Alabama experience. And so knowing what I have to share, you know, as a young alum, as a young donor, as a triple graduate of the university, it's really important just to give back and pay it forward and pay those respects, but also to set that example for the next generation of students that come through and finish. I want them to look at me and say, well, I don't have to be of that age to give back. I can start giving as soon as I am comfortable with doing that, whether it's financially or just giving your time. It means so much to the students and these programs here. And again, I would be nowhere without the people behind me. So if I can help at least one person get to their dream goal, it's more than worth it at the end of the day. That concludes part one of our two-part series with Olivia Eustace. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College of Business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide. <laughs>